to the Blue Diamond. This is Adre with something to say. Uh, those of you who've been following me from the beginning or even have listened to one other episode are used to hearing me refer to myself as Lady Dre, which I've been doing for years. But I've decided to make a name change. Adre is not something random. It is a nickname given to me by some of my friends years ago who still call me that. And so I've decided to go by the nickname given to me by dear friends. Okay, so let's get on to the episode. I am going to talk about two topics that will tie in. I'll just give you a little intro. The first topic is about how we see things, how we think about things. And the second topic is about me being the modern day version of Henrietta Lacks. And for those of you who do not know who Henrietta Lacks was, I am going to um, give you a very brief um, bio on her. So first, I want to talk about how we see things and why we see things the way that we do, why we think about things and react to things the way that we do. I am not a psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. Uh, nothing like that. However, I have years of experience working with children. Okay, so I've worked with children from various backgrounds, um, ethnically speaking, um, socioeconomically speaking, uh, and what I've noticed is a stark difference in the way these children behave, the way they see the world, the way they think about things, the way they respond. This is why I do not use the term common sense or common decency or common courtesy. Common is mm, determined by your experiences. If you grow up in a single parent home um, with a, you know, with your mother who is struggling to take care of four children, the way you see things is going to be different than person X who grows up in a two-parent home where dad is making high six figures and mom doesn't have to work at all but stays home to take care of the kids. Those are just two random scenarios. Um, but believe me, the children in those two homes aren't going to have a whole lot in common. So, we think inside of a box. As much as we like to think that we're open-minded and woke, believe me, you think inside of a box. Okay? Let me give you an example. I was director 
of uh, a program uh, for young people. And I was in this room that was filled with first and second graders. I'm sorry, kindergarten and first graders. And they were working on this coloring project. And this little boy, and forgive me if you've heard this story before because I've told it many times. This little boy wanted the blue crayon. Somebody else grabbed the blue crayon out of the box before he had a chance to. And he immediately went into fight mode. The, the issue was that it was a box filled with 50 blue crayons. But what he saw was somebody taking what he needed. He lives in a state of survival. In survival of the fittest. So he's got to fight for everything he wants. He's trying to survive he lives in an environment where his family, his neighbors, are trying to survive from one day to the next. They're trying to make sure they can get enough food on the table. They're trying to make sure they're dodging bullets in their neighborhood. Okay, so that, that's, that's one young man. I worked at another um, program for young people where... The majority of the parents were not from the United States. And one of the things that they were constantly instilling in their children was you have to put your best foot forward. You have to be mannerable. You need to work hard. Most importantly, you have to re be respectful. They were... Uh, foreigners and didn't want to make any waves then I worked in another program where the um, children some of them came from single-parent homes most of them came from two-parent homes but they still were um, they weren't affluent they weren't um, uh, socioeconomically speaking, they were, weren't quite middle class, but they weren't below the poverty line. They, they weren't just merely trying to survive. They may have had moments like that, but that wasn't um, their way of life. Yet and still, these kids were, they functioned with this entitlement that I had never come across before and were very disrespectful to adults very disrespectful so all three of these groups of children acted very differently they had different behaviors and I was constantly adjusting so that I could provide each group of children with what they needed as well as with their parents and that I was I had to develop a way to communicate with the children and the parents in these different environments because there was nothing really in common and one of the things that I did notice that they all had in common um, was that they thought inside of their box they all thought inside of their box so 
when you would tell them something that was from outside of their box, they almost found it impossible to believe. And that's something that stays with you into adulthood. Somebody can tell you something, but because you've never thought about it, you don't have any um, experience with it, you don't have a reference point, it's almost impossible for you to believe. And you, you just don't fathom it. The person who's telling you this thought that is from outside of your box must be crazy. And I've wondered for so many years why people find things that they um, have no exposure to so hard to believe. I call it the front porch syndrome. Not knowing anything beyond your front porch. If you can't see it from your front porch, if you can't hear it from your front porch, if you can't learn about it from your front porch, it doesn't exist. And when somebody else tells you about it, you're like, what? You're crazy. And like I said, this sticks with you. So I see this a lot in adults. I'll give you a, um, a small harmless example. This has to do with my mother. My mother is a vacationer. And she has been all over the planet. And I mean that. She has been all over. She hasn't been to the Arctic and she hasn't been to Antarctica. But she's been everywhere else. <laughs> when she vacations, she's on the go, on the go, on the go. She's doing all kinds of excursions. She's seeing all kinds of sights. She's just doing. That is what a vacation is to her. She has a close friend whose idea of a vacation is staying home, having some time to relax, catch up on sleep. I know you can't catch up on sleep, but you know what I mean. Um, get some rest, read a good book, maybe work out in the garden, maybe even do some home improvement projects. And my mother's just like, that's crazy. That is not what a vacation is. But it is. For her friend, that's exactly what a vacation is. A lot of people think of vacation as a time to rest. While others think of vacation as a time to go and do something you've never done before. You know? So, it's just an example of what I mean. Just thinking differently. My mother has a hard time understanding how someone could take five days off of work just to do a, as she calls it, a staycation. She doesn't believe in staycations, she'll tell you that. So anyway, um, the reason why I wanted to talk about um, how we see things is because it ties in directly to my second topic. And it's about me being a modern day Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta Lacks was a woman who went into, I'm sorry, I heard a beep, I didn't know what it was, <laughs> um, went into um, Johns Hopkins University Hospital 
and had surgery. Well, there was a doctor there who was trying to, well, he was doing it, he was trying to get his experiment to work. The problem is, every time he removed cells from a body, the cells died, they didn't grow. And they were experimenting, taking these cells from black women specifically. And when they took the cells from Henrietta Lacks, the cells not only did not die, but they grew, which allowed them to create cultures and then create different types of medicines and things like that. All of this was done without her knowledge. So... How does that tie in to me? Some of you have heard about my medical history or have read about my medical history. But listen to what I'm saying right now. I am 48 years old. I have had two myomectomies. That's the removal of fibroid tumors from my uterus. I have had a hysterectomy, which is the removal of the uterus and the cervix. I have had two oophorectomies. Those are the removal of the um, ovaries. I've had an appendectomy. That is the removal of the appendix. So I have had my uterus, my cervix, my fallopian tubes, my ovaries, removed in my appendix that's seven organs removed from my body after I survived all of that well let me back up and say this my first ovary was removed because the doctor who did not go in there to remove my ovary told me that my ovary died during the surgery what what? What? And can give me no explanation. And my ovary died. And obviously you can't leave a dead organ in a body. So there goes my, my left ovary and my left fallopian tube. Two months later, I go in because they tell me they think that I have cancer, ovarian cancer in the one ovary I have left. I know I'm in excruciating pain and an ultrasound reveals a great fruit sized object in my body but the doctor just cut me open two months earlier he didn't see this object in my body and how did it grow that quickly so I go in to have this grapefruit-sized tumor removed, and they also removed my right ovary and fallopian tube. And oh, by the way, you had appendicitis, so we removed that too. I am now sterile. I've had no children. I've harvested no eggs, so a surrogate is out of the picture. Okay. So I, I, but I survive all of that, you know, mentally it's tough, physically I survived. And then what happens? In the midst of all of that, 
I suffer a brain aneurysm. And in, instincts kicked in. And I said, oh, I'm going to die today. I knew it. In my heart, mind, and soul, I knew it. But I wasn't scared or hysterical. At the time, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I was going to die. I was later diagnosed with a brain aneurysm when they saw it on the MRI and on the CAT scan and found blood in my spinal fluid after doing the spinal tap. So this brain aneurysm was leaking. It had ruptured. But my pastor came in, laid his hands on my head and prayed. I had zero doubt of what God could do. For the first time in my life, I had zero doubt. And the brain aneurysm went away. Now the doctors decided it was time to poke and prod me for the next six months to try to figure out what happened. All right? So I'm dealing with all of that. I'm also dealing with this excruciating pain from these fibroids and having surgery after surgery. And I'm asked to be part of um, an experimental group. I refused. I said, no, I will not. Um, number one, I didn't want to be given placebo for my problem. I wanted my problem fixed. Number two... I remember the Tuskegee experiment. I didn't know about Henrietta Lacks at the time. But I didn't want to be part of any testing group, so I said no. I get through all of that and then turn around and have my first heart attack. I have a heart attack. I am incapacitated for a year. I'm on all kinds of medications. That I'm told I'll have to be on for the rest of my life. And I shouldn't miss a dose. 11 medications. These medications are going to keep me alive. But jeez, 11 medications every single day. I know people who, for whatever reason, again, um, we all see things differently and react to things differently. But for whatever reason, can be on... 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 medications and they wear it almost like a badge of honor, like they're proud and say, look at what I'm taking. I'm on this and this and this and this and this. I I just see things differently than, the, than people who see it like that. I uh, hate the idea of being dependent on this medication and I have tried to stop before, but then I almost die. You know, so anyway, um, I am able to get myself off of all 11 medications, and I'm doing well, but then I have, five years later, I have a second heart attack. This one isn't as severe, and I don't need a whole bunch of medication, but I do have to take a couple of them. I recover very quickly from the second heart attack. A couple of years after the second heart attack, I go into the cardiologist who tells me that my heart is strong and my blockage has decreased from 40% to 10%. And my heart is so strong that I don't even need to take an aspirin. Yay. Turn around a year and a half later and I have a STEMI heart attack also known as the Widowmaker. 
it knocks me off of my feet. I now have to have open heart surgery because I have 98% blockage. But a year and a half before that, I had barely had 10%. What's happening? What's going on? What have they triggered in my body that every five years, like clockwork, I have a heart attack? Well, now I'm told that I have to have open heart surgery. My heart is so damaged that I can't even go home because if I do, I'll die. That's what they tell me. So I stay in a hospital and wait eight days to have open heart surgery. And during that time, those eight days, I'm dependent on them to keep my heart functioning because it cannot function on its own. And then I have my open heart surgery, which takes another year for me to recover from. And that was 14 months ago. So I just hit my year mark um, two months ago. And I'm back on a ton of medications. A ton of medications. And then in the midst of all of that, I have a second brain aneurysm and a stroke this time. And I have to have brain surgery. (laughs) I'm living a crazy life, you guys. I'm living a crazy life. Plus, I have everything else to deal with that other people have to deal with in life. So I go to my primary a couple months ago. And I said, I need you to help me figure out what is wrong with my body. There's something wrong with my body that is causing major systems to malfunction. Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention that I have major GI issues. I have been diagnosed with um, gastroparesis. In layman's terms, it's sluggish stomach. It's not anything that's going to kill me, but it's extremely uncomfortable and painful because it causes crippling nausea. So anyway, you know, I say to my primary, listen, my reproductive system has been shot to hell. (laughs) It's not even there anymore. Uh, My GI tract is off the wall. Um, my brain, I've had two brain aneurysms and a stroke. I've had three heart attacks and open heart surgery. Something's going on. And what I need to know is, is there one chronic illness that attacks the different systems of the body? Because I don't understand what's going on. The one thing I do know is that I'm here by the grace of God. I've only survived all that I've survived because of the grace of God. They say that cats have nine lives. I have a few because I went asystole after my uh, open heart surgery. I died. I passed away. There was zero electrical current going through my heart. I was dead. It took them a while, but they resuscitated me. And when they resuscitated me, 
I was not breathing on my own, so I was kept sedated and on a ventilator. But again, God is on my side. And as much as I've gone through, he's done much more for me so that I could survive and then come out on the other side sharing my story, sharing my testimony. But what I really want to focus on here is what's being done to my body. Something is being done to my body. And this is why I wanted my doctor to look into it. So she said, okay. And then I went in for an appointment. And she says, boy, you know, I've heard for, from so many specialists. I said, yeah, I have a lot of specialists because I have a lot of things wrong with my body. And she says, well, I want you to, to do this ACE test. Adverse Childhood Experiences. So it's, I forget, I think we like, 10 or 12 questions you answer the questions and then you get a score and if you score I think it was like a four or higher at that point they blame your illnesses on your childhood on the way you were raised okay <laughs> so if you had any kind of adversity in your childhood, um, that's why. Because those adversities create a high level of stress. And when you're going through stress, you put out a specific hormone. I can't remember the name of it. I am not an MD. And that causes all of these health issues. So, <laughs> who do you think that's really going to um, have an effect on? What, what, what um, community? What group of people? Um, it seems like it should be anybody who's definitely impoverished. I was not impoverished as a child. Um, uh, there was nothing I ever really wanted that my parents didn't give me. And I grew up, uh, I, I was educated, in, you know, in private school. My parents paid for my education. But still, because of the questions, I scored more than four. Giving me, giving the doctor, I should say, um, an out. You know, oh, well, I don't need to look into anything else as far as your health is concerned and why all your major systems seem to malfunction. You know, I need a diagnostic test <laughs> like a machine. Something's not right. But I have believed that something is being purposely done to me ever since my ovaries were taken and that was at the beginning of my health issues because my first set of health issues were with my reproductive system I do believe that things have been done to me purposely but when I tell people that they think I'm crazy 
they can't fathom it and they think inside their box they suffer from front porch syndrome those men who lined up for the Tuskegee experiment would have never believed that they were purposely being given syphilis and purposely um, and medication was per per I can't talk and medication was purposefully helping them Henrietta Lacks had no idea what happened to her and her family once they were told what had happened just couldn't comprehend it they weren't well educated people and didn't quite understand you know what happened and what um, was meant by Henrietta Lacks lives on in so many of us why her right why her well because her cells stayed alive and grew why me I don't know why me but something is not right something's not right and let's look at COVID-19 all I'm gonna say about that is something's not right something is not adding up but you know back on to me here I am sitting here 48 years old never had any children it was very difficult for me to get that hysterectomy but my quality of life was so poor because I was in such excruciating pain every single day I put that hysterectomy off for 10 years I had it 10 years after I knew I needed it you know but in the end I had to cave because my quality of life was so poor something's not right I don't know what kind of knowledge anybody can gain from what I've been through um, but something's not right and it's so hard to know what to do what not to do when it comes to your health and just trying to stay alive if I'm having a heart attack and somebody tells me that my heart is damaged to the point where it, it can't function on its own then I stay in the hospital and I become dependent on these people to keep me alive and I become dependent on this medication to keep me alive I don't know what else this medication is doing to me I don't know in which way I'm being monitored I don't know what's been put into my body as things have been removed from my body I still go back to when that doctor removed my left ovary because it apparently died and then sent me to another doctor because two months later I needed to be cut open again what was it that you grew in my body 
What did you grow on my body? I remember going to get the ultrasound done. Well, first of all, the doctor continuously denied a follow-up appointment or an ultrasound. Despite the fact that I told him I was in excruciating pain, he kept telling me that my pain was within the realm of recovery. And I had already at that point been cut open enough times to know that there was something else wrong. But he kept putting me off and putting me off and putting me off. And then I guess by like week six or seven, he finally had an ultrasound scheduled and made it seem like he was doing it because he was appeasing me. I had the ultrasound done. The ultrasound tech, you know, those techs, they don't tell you anything. They just do their job and keep pushing. But not her. Whatever she saw was alarming and I could see it on her face. And she told me to get up and get dressed right away. And then she took me out front to the receptionist and said give her an appointment immediately. I knew something was wrong. That doctor put me off just long enough for whatever was growing in my body to grow to a significant size. And then I was told that because it grew so rapidly, it had to be cancerous. It had to be a cancerous tumor. So you've got to go back in for surgery. I knew I was in a lot of pain. And whatever was in there didn't feel right. So I had to go back. And I went back. And they removed whatever it was. But also removed my last ovary. And then told me that there was no cancer cells at all. It was, it was benign. But whatever it was, I don't know. Whatever they put in me, I don't know. I know some of you are listening to this and you think I'm crazy. Think outside the box. These things are done. Experiments are done on people. And... To somebody, I'm a walking experiment. To me, I'm a walking testimony for God. Because no matter what they try to do to me, I remain. Now, remaining does mean that they will continue to experiment on me. I recognize that. But it also builds my testimony, which I willingly share. So... All right, well, that was a long one for me, you guys. I hope that you are able to think outside the box and leave your front porch. Um, I just wanted to share that. It's been on my mind, and I wanted to share it, so I did. All righty, this is 8 Ray signing off.